everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Real Leaders. And today I'm doing a Philly special version of this, if you will. A lot of the leaders and the pastors I've been talking to are out of town, and this is going to be probably one of the first pastors from Philadelphia area where I'm from that I'm going to be interviewing. And I have with me Pastor Alan E. Waller of Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church. How are you doing, Pastor? Man, I am doing well, blessed, and, and appreciative for being able to be in this conversation with you. This is great. I'm honored that you would be here today uh, to be able to do this. We know that we've been in some ways missing each other just uh, here and there, but it's so good that we have this technology that we can just zoom in and talk to each other and hear what's going on in each other's lives. You just came out with a a recent book that I want to make a mention of. It's uh, called The Code of the Righteous Warrior, uh, 10 Laws of Moral Manhood, for an uncertain world. Yeah, yeah, I um, Code of the Righteous Warrior. It is um, my my contribution to the conversation about what it means to be a man today, what it means to uh, follow biblical principles in the 21st century. And uh, because I still believe the book, I believe the book says what it says and means what it means. Um, But there's a way of being a man today without all of the trappings of the old chauvinism and all of the trappings that hid behind a false sense of masculinity. Uh, But the book still says what it says. Also, I I take my experiences in extreme sports and martial arts and use those experiences to teach the 10 uh, biblical principles of moral manhood. So it's just my way of getting in the conversation to pass on what was given to me about what it means to be a man. Yeah, I think that's excellent. There's certain material that is timeless and also material that is timely. And I think this fits both of those, having a book like that. It's very timely and timeless in light of the times that we're living in. Amen. Amen. So I, I want to uh, start off with this. Um, there's a couple of things that I'm thinking, and me and my wife actually uh, get into talks about, like, what is the first thing that we want to do or what can't we wait to get back to? So I want to start with that kind of easy mm-hmm. question. Is there some things that you're like, man, I, once this lifts, once the limitations are not there, I can't wait to get back to you fill in the blank. Oh, wow. Yeah, really. Um, what, what I can't wait to get back to is my regular morning routine. Uh, while I've been able to do it somewhat, uh, there's, there's a thing that I do every morning that included going to the gym, uh, that, you know, I can still do my devotional piece, but there's a big piece of me that is going to the gym, uh, is getting with an accountability group, um, and, uh, doing that, I the first three hours of the morning is what uh, I do to prepare me for the world. You know, we're clergy. So once we hit the pavement, we belong to people. Uh, and so those first three hours were really important uh, to help me be who I need to be for people. It included getting with people to pray. It included getting into the gym um, and, and so that I can't wait to get back to. But what I really am excited about is what my wife and I have carved out 
as a result of this. I have to admit um, that, you know, she's got a lot going on. I have a lot going on. And we didn't realize how much time we missed each other. Uh, so I'm getting excited about fitting our new schedule into our old world. You know, uh, the, the church and world are going to have to wait for me and Ellen to finish. Uh, and I can't wait to get back to the new thing that we're doing and watch my old world adjust to it. Isn't that something like we have these routines that kind of make us who we are, these disciplines that we incorporate in our lives that when those things get disrupted, it's like we have to get our equilibrium back. That's you know, right. And then those things that some ways we've maybe, I don't know if we've taken it for granted, but they just become even that much more special. Mm -hmm. And there's these, you know, these limitations in these dynamics that we're living with. So I hear you, man. I can't wait to get back to the simple things like going to a Barnes and Nobles and just being able <laughs> to get some coffee, yeah. and read a book and, and just people watch and, you know, maybe watch a movie and just go somewhere with my wife and, you know, walk in the park, things like that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I, good enough. I, I'm very much involved with martial arts and it's kind of hard to train by yourself. And you really got to touch another person and be in another group. And it's a significant part of who I am. And so I really look forward to being able to get back to that discipline. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk about maybe some other moves that you had to make in light of this situation that we find ourselves all in. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're one of the larger churches and organizations here in Philadelphia. And so I'm sure there was a lot of things that you had to uh, switch up and gears that you had to change up in order to adjust to, you know, the, what we were in. And yeah. so you couldn't normally function the way you function. So you had to find new ways to conduct ministry slash business slash whatever else. So how easy was that for you? And yeah. Fill us in on what that looked like yeah. for the world. Thank you. I think, you know, part of, part of the challenge was the generation I'm out of. You know, I'm 56 years old, and so I come, um, I am a, a digital pioneer. Uh, the younger guys are digital settlers. You know, you all know this world in a way that I, I don't necessarily. So getting used to all of the Zoom and all of the streaming, while we were streaming before, I know that the use of the online social media thing is a part of the younger pastor's world in ways that wasn't a part of mine. In fact, uh, I'm of the age where I was very skeptical of Facebook and very skeptical of a lot of the social media stuff. Um, so I had to make the adjustment to really get involved with um, Facebook Live and Instagram and, so, and, and Zoom, and that's been a big piece. Now, we've been doing online worship for quite a while, so we were already streaming our morning service, um, but uh, we then did have to make the adjustments for funerals for that. Uh, of course, uh, many of our meetings, accountability groups, all of that is in a Zoom platform now. Uh, and I actually love it. 
Um, in fact, I'm convinced that some of the stuff that I used to do, uh, I can continue to do it in a Zoom context. Let me give as an example, um, the number of people that have come to Christ and into the life of our church during this period, I'm preparing for a Zoom meeting with just them. Um, and that's not something that I could have sustained physically uh, before. Uh, and so my schedule just wouldn't allow for it. They would go to orientation with someone else and new members classes. But now I'm going to get to have a Zoom meeting and actually take a couple of hundred people who have come to Christ through the new members material myself uh, as the senior pastor and in a large church, touching people in that way uh, sometimes doesn't happen for the senior pastor beyond the preaching moment. So I'm very excited about that. And, um, but those, the, you know, the whole social media piece was the biggest adjustment. Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, the case for a lot of people, there's just a whole new skill set. But then there was this realization of when we were able to learn how we can actually leverage it, like you were talking about, to actually get closer to people and, yeah. and, and even, even in that way, make it convenient for people because it would be convenient for you. You can be closer. You can see faces versus being in a room and people have to travel to be there. Mm -hmm. They can do it from a more convenient place. You can do it from a more convenient place and you can make it personal. And then when it's time to go, you just press end and you move on to the next thing. So it's efficient, but at the same time, it's very effective to personally being able to connect with people. That's right. That's right. That's so right. did you discover any other things like new ways of doing things during this time? Like are you explaining how you're going to do something for orientation that's different. Yes. What else will be end up being like new normals? Because you're like, it was so successful that I'm going to be able to make this pandemic proof. And it's, it's you know, I'm, exactly. I'm glad you said that with a, like a larger church, there's sometimes things we're just in these routines that we never experiment outside of that. But it seems like, or a lot of us just have to do it. We're forced to do it. So mm -hmm. what are those things that you found that could possibly be pandemic proof new normals because of you discovering it now? Well, one of the things that we found is the use of Zoom and breakout rooms in Zoom. Um, so, you know, there's a way that you can take a couple of hundred people uh, and have a conversation and then break them out into smaller breakout rooms for the purpose of prayer. Um, you know, we can do a cell group thing by way of Zoom uh, that I believe is going to be very effective. As a, as a large church with a lot of irons in the fire, every leader in the church knows that the senior pastor can call a meeting that you are required to be at within a 48 hour time. Um, and that used to be such a burden to get people from around physically into space. Those sort of special call meetings don't ever have to be um, in person again. I mean, we can continue to use this context. I have had more opportunity to touch, if you will, uh, my senior staff and men, people in ministry this way than even physically being in the room. We have a Monday evening worship at the first Monday of every month where all of my leaders uh, at every level, we come together and we have a meal and then we 
discuss the ministry. We pray, I teach, um, and then we go out into other rooms. I, while I'm in the room, I'm in the room with 300 people. Um, and this actually feels closer than that room. I've never seen the faces that, uh, 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 not that I've never seen them, but I experience faces on this screen closer uh, than I do if I'm physically in the room. So there are some trade-offs. That is good, yeah, because it kind of, we're framed off. Exactly. <laughs> we're kind of seeing exactly. what's the most important part of that time, the eyeball to eyeball, we're hearing each other's voices. That's kind of cool. Right. Now, on a different note, um, I don't know how aware you've been of things that have been happening throughout our city, or maybe just the churches that you're affiliated with and connected to. Has there anything that's been happening that you've been pleasantly surprised by? And you're like, wow, this is really neat that now we're, we're, we're doing this or this type of thing is happening. Um, yeah, share. share. Yeah. I have been pleasantly surprised by the groupings of pastors together um, to work together, to help each other, to feed communities and to do collective ministry. Now I have to admit that uh, one of the downsides of who I am as an individual, I'm an only child. And so my only childness has played out in ministry in ways that I'm not necessarily proud of. and. Um, and so I haven't necessarily been the greatest team player uh, with other pastors, not mad or anything like that. I'm just, I can do things by myself and I tend to. Um, this has given me an opportunity to work with other pastors, uh, sometimes in a resource capacity because of the size of the church. Um, and then also, um, in a, a fatherly capacity because I have been pastoring now uh, for 30 years. Um, and so, and it has been wonderful to watch as persons cross over racial and denominational boundaries out of necessity to meet needs in the community, particularly around feeding. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be a part of very smaller but pointed relief fund efforts uh, because the stuff that you hear on TV is hitting um, large uh, organizations. Um, but I was just involved with what was called, what is called PA 30 day fund. Uh, and we were able to help businesses that are smaller than the CARES Act stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm talking about barbershops mm -hmm. and sole proprietorships and get dollars to them that are forgivable loans. And that has happened as a result of business people and churches coming together. I have been on conversations with white men that are Republicans. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and we, have, we, have, we have worked together to help people. And that has been a wonderful experience, particularly in light of the national conversation that is happening right now. That's neat. You know, I think when we have this common cause and yeah. we're really looking at the, the human crisis that this has caused and each of us lending our specific expertise, but also our willingness to learn from one another is That's especially right. important in a time like that, you know, in the time that we're living in. So I think it's 
done a great thing for the people who already possessed um, special qualities and such as humility, it has just made us that much more humble and available to what God wants to show us collectively. So really need to hear that. I know that your church has also done some things where it's opened up its doors for a testing site as well. Yes. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the challenges around this disease is its impact on black and brown people uh, and people with uh, comorbidities. So, and the fact that we did not have enough testing from the very beginning. So we participated in bringing testing into the community. Uh, and that's actually how I found out I tested positive. Um, I was not, I, I am not, was not symptomatic. And I did not think I had been around anyone that was, uh, had, had tested positive, but I did. Uh, and that has put my skin in the game in a deeper way because there's so many unknowns around this uh, virus. I have been told four different things by four different respected professionals and they all are, are different. I've been told three days with no fever and you can come out, 10 days with no symptoms and you can come out, 14 days you can come out, 20 days you could still be shedding. Uh, I was just tested two days ago, and so I'm waiting for my results uh, because there were those who said I couldn't be retested because there weren't enough test kits. Um, so this has given us an opportunity to advocate for sections of our city that are underserved historically uh, and right now existentially uh, because of the lack of appropriate national response. Hmm. Wow. Well, I have one, one question. It might, it might lead to something else, but it's a change of direction mm -hmm. uh, in that we've talked about some of the things that we've done to, you know, partnered and some of the things that, um, that you, we've learned through this, but I want to take it a little bit deeper or more spiritual, if you yeah. will, yeah. getting an idea of, have you had a strong sense of what the Lord is up to and doing um, with this current situation that we find ourselves in. I want to leave it there and just give you room to kind yeah. of explore that and share what are those things that God has been showing you? Thank you. Um, there, there's something that the Lord took me to from the very beginning and is just continues to reaffirm it. And there in the 23rd chapter, in the 23rd Psalm, the second verse says something that we've been saying, um, but I don't think we've appreciated the 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 verb in there he said he maketh me to lie down and uh, maketh me to lie down in green pastures i think for a long time we read that passage and we saw the shepherd who leads us to wonderful green pastures and allows us to lie down and eat wonderful things he's certainly that shepherd but that maketh that maketh me lie down uh that it, the implication of that word is making me lie down even when I don't want to lie down, making me lie down even when I'm not smart enough to know it's time to lie down. Um, I see a maketh moment in this season. We're, we're having to be quarantined. We're having to lie down. Uh, and I believe we're having to lie down to be reminded of what really matters. I believe we're being, we're being made to lie down to 
allow God to get back on the throne in America and in our families, uh, to prioritize time with family, to be reminded uh, that a great economy is not the sole definition of a good country, uh, and to remind us of what really makes us uh, a great country, uh, and to remind us what really matters. You know, uh, I did my I did my doctorate in marriage family counseling back in 1998, and so fundamentally, I am a marriage counselor, and we know that strong, happy marriages spend 22 hours a week together. And, and that doesn't include the sleep time. It, it, it includes intentional time, husband and wife. And I think you and I know uh, the numbers of marriages that we see uh, that people just don't. And we think that we can't because we're working and we're serving and we're doing. Uh, and I think that this is an opportunity for us to lie down and restructure uh, and recommit to what really matters. I know that has been my experience and I believe that God is saying to us, uh, it's time for you to lie down. It's time for you to get back to my will and my, uh, my line of prioritizing. And I don't believe that we'll get out of it until we do. And when we do, we're going to get out. I believe we're going to, this too shall pass. Um, but I believe we're going to have to uh, get back to what the old folk would call the old landmark uh, of, of prioritizing family, prioritizing Sabbath. Um, I had a conversation. There's a young man who many people know, Pastor Howard John uh, Wesley, who pastors a church in D.C., who made it public at the beginning of the year that he was taking a sabbatical. And many people wrestled with, you know, pastors and sabbaticals, and he was brave enough to say it in front of everyone. And I said to him, it looked like you put us all on a sabbatical. Uh, we were wondering, could it happen? And maybe all of us needed this moment. So I hear God's voice telling us to lie down um, and to reimagine what living for God living in the earth and serving really looks like. And then finally, and, and thank you for this, you know, the truth of the matter is for most people, even though we see the death rate, for most people, this is a, it's a difficult cold that you get through, or you don't even have symptoms at all. And that's the truth, the most of us, but for a small portion of us, larger than we would like it, it is lethal. And this is causing us to have to think not about our privilege, but think about our weaker brother. Think about our seasoned saints. Think about the children. So that as we think about um, reopening and as we think about all of the implications of saving our economy, we're called to think about the children that have a a strange disease connected with this that looks like Kawasaki disease or looks like toxic shock. We're called to think about the people who are in nursing homes that are dying. Even though the majority of us won't, God is calling us to think about the least of these because if it happens to the least of these, it's happening to him. 
So we can't go with the average numbers and we can't go with the probabilities. We have to think about the one. And that's how God, that's what God's heart is. And I think that's what God has caused us to lie down, to reorient with how we are to think and emphasize. That's well put. And that is some good stuff. I, I see what you're saying about the resting part. I've even said like, man, I hope I don't get out of this until I get the fullness of why God caused us to yeah. step back yeah. and everything like that, including the church. So we've had to reorient uh, as many people have, but in the, as we finish reorienting, we still need to learn that lesson of why he is causing us or making us to rest. And that, that is a, a particular word there that he puts right. Make is uh it, it almost seems like there's a forcefulness to it, but we know he's gentle, but there's a sense where he, he wants to emphasize the need for sabbatical or rest. And yeah. what that does to us, it sets us up for us to be able to have a, a better future because if we keep going the way we're going, a lot of times we're running on fumes and mm -hmm. we're prioritizing poorly. This has caused us to relook at our priorities. That's right. Look at the things that are important. And like you said, I, I, I never thought about that. To look at the the least of these, if you will, the, to look at the ones that are suffering and struggling and and how are we going to treat them or think about them in this time where we might be a little bit more privileged or safe, but we know that people are suffering and this rest causes us to reflect on those things and how are we going to respond to the, the, the current right. needs of people more or less, you know, yeah. I honestly believe that I have this virus because I would get the attention. I mean, I've been on television. As soon as everybody found out I had it, I've been on every news station, the papers are covering it. And the real issue is I'm allowed to speak for the countless people that get it and nobody cares about. Um, so I'm able to call out the hypocrisy and mendacity around the testing process. I'm able to call out um, the, the danger in this whole thing. Uh, and so I view it as assignment that God allowed me to get the virus is protecting me um, from it while I'm able to speak. And while the cameras are on me, I need to tell the truth about who's not being served, who's not being helped, and uh, who the people who are suffering as a result of this virus and our lack of clear and cohesive response, comprehensive response. Amen. Well, that's the great, great way to look at that, right? Because it's like, why did I get this? And then mm -hmm. God shows you is that you get to be a voice. Well, there's yeah. the reason why I had you on here, Pastor, is because I really think you're an important voice. Um, I'm sure to many people's lives, but especially to our city, that God has given you um, opportunity and influence to really be a spiritual leader and to be a voice. And so my curiosity is that I wanted to get you on here and just kind of learn what God is teaching you and uh, see what God is showing you and then be able to put that out to other people that just are also curious about real leaders such as yourself and what they have to say. 
Well, man, I appreciate you for allowing me to be a part of this conversation because I truly respect what you are doing in our city. When you called us together to pray uh, at the Dell Theater, and uh, I, I bless God for the way in which you are using um, your voice and your position uh, with the, the larger group of pastors to help bring our city together because we, we really do need to live up to the name of our city, City of Brotherly Love, right. uh, and your, your leadership is leading us in that direction. Well, I appreciate that, Pastor. It means a lot coming from you. So thank you for all of you who've tuned in today. I pray you are blessed by this great conversation that we had with Pastor Alan Wilder. Check out his book. Check out what they're doing. He's an awesome church, awesome man of God, awesome material that's out there. And appreciate you once again, Pastor Allen, for stopping by and Thank talking you. with me.